Thor Love and Thunder is the 29th, 29th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Taika Waititi returns to direct. This one follows the events of Avengers Endgame, where we see Thor leave with the Guardians of the Galaxy. We don't actually get the Asgardians of the Galaxy, but we get a little bit of a cameo at the beginning of the film. And right off the bat, I think it's safe to say that this is the first truly standalone MCU movie we've had in a long time. As standalone as an MCU movie can be. There were no connections to the multiverse in this film. There was no connections to the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie in this film. It was pretty much a direct follow-up to Thor's story. For me, I think this is the best Phase 4 MCU film I've seen. Black Widow was disappointing. I did not like Eternals. Shang-Chi was all but forgettable if it wasn't for Tony Leung. Spider-Man No Way Home is kind of my favorite, but I don't even necessarily consider that an MCU movie because of the Sony thing that's going on. Yeah, Spider-Man is MCU adjacent. It's in a weird middle space, right? And Doctor Strange, while enjoyable, was also ultimately kind of forgettable. It also wasn't a Doctor Strange movie. It really was a Wanda movie. Yeah. This one truly felt like a Thor movie. Taika Waititi digs deep into the mythology of the character and the comic book. He truly tells a Thor story, which is refreshing. Like, as a comic book fan... It is truly refreshing. It wasn't burdened by crossovers. It wasn't burdened by unnecessary cameos. It just felt like a really fun story that was really well told. As a guy who's only... I've only gotten into the comics very late on. I'm only reading the current run of Thor. Which is great, by the way. Which is an amazing run, by the way. I'm not deep into the Thor mythology. So I don't know enough about Thor and history of Thor for this movie to affect me one way or the other other than to say that sitting in the cinema this movie was fun you're right I like that this movie delves into Thor's history but isn't too concerned with 60 years of comic book character which I really appreciate I think it's safe to say that anyone who reads comic books understands how comic book history is relatively meaningless, right? Because it changes with every new character. It changes with every new writer. Comic book companies are constantly trying to retcon the history of these characters to make them more interesting and more relevant to the modern day. And so even Thor has gone through many different incarnations. One of those incarnations is addressed in this movie in which Jane Foster, Natalie Portman's Jane Foster, becomes the mighty Thor. Now that story is lifted directly from the comic books. It's very similar to what happens in the comic books. Jane Foster is diagnosed with breast cancer in the comic books. And one of the ways that she discovers could not necessarily cure her, but give her a better quality of life, is to heed the call of Mjolnir. That's what she does in the comics. That's what she does in this movie as well. Can I just jump in and ask, in the comics, Thor loses Mjolnir. In this film, it makes it perfectly clear that Thor is still Thor, but with Stormbreaker. Whereas in the comics, Thor sort of loses the I wouldn't say the ability to be Thor, but he well he's deemed unworthy for a brief period of time. Essentially, it's Thor one, right? The first half of Thor one 
is what happens in the comics and Jane Foster takes over. And even in the comics, he is fighting God the Butcher while Jane is suffering from cancer. So all of this stuff is happening in the comics. But of course, this one is more MCU accurate because it is his sister that actually destroys Mjolnir in the last mm-hmm. movie, in, in Thor Ragnarok, right? She grabs it in her hand and shatters it into a million pieces. And I still remember the hall just gasping when that happened, yeah. This is the kind of MCU movie that I miss. It's become very self-serious, right? Because it's become so concerned with this infinite plot, with this overarching theme, with this idea that everything is connected. A movie like Thor Love and Thunder is almost an anomaly. It feels like Taika Waititi was allowed to kind of do his own thing because Kevin Feige has faith in this director. So he could tell the small, intimate story even. Yes, there are stakes, but there aren't Eternals like end-of-the-planet Earth stakes. And the Eternals is a good example because it's that when the MCU is tied together so tightly... When something like the Eternals happens, the end of the Eternals happens, you ask yourself, where the fuck is everybody else? Why is there no news about this new Celestial coming out of the bowels of Earth in the Hawkeye series or in the Captain America Winter Soldier series or the WandaVision series, right? When they've tied it in so tight, as a franchise, you almost cannot make these big end-of-the-planet Earth situations because you really start asking yourself questions about where's everybody else whereas with Thor there is a succinctness and a focus to the story that I think I last saw in maybe Guardians of the Galaxy yes I think that's about right yeah I mean sure Eternals was standalone but again there are problems with Eternals as much as I enjoyed it the problem of that end world thing where is everybody else And even Guardians of the Galaxy was kind of burdened with telling the story of an Infinity Stone. This movie does not have that. And it is an absolute ride. Like, I haven't laughed this much at an MCU movie in a long time. And isn't to say that this is a straight up comedy, because I think this is what Taika Waititi does best in all of his stuff. He is... yes. For me, one of the greatest filmmakers of this generation, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it. If you've seen Jojo Rabbit, What We Do in the Shadows, Our Flag Means Death, even Thor Love and Thunder, the comedy hides a much deeper story and deeper narrative about the plight of these characters and these individuals. Like, I have not been this emotionally moved in an MCU movie, not since Spider-Man No Way Home, and that moved me for a different reason. Spider-Man yes, Movie yeah. Home moved me because of nostalgia, because it made me feel like a kid again. I was excited for different reasons. Thor made me sad in Act 3 because of what these characters have already gone through in the first two acts. And it isn't heavy. It's fucking hilarious. And yet, there is still an emotional gut punch. And that writing is super. Taika Waititi's comedy is borderline black comedy because it is it hides an emotional weight, right? They're, yes. The characters are using comedy to hide the fact that they're feeling troubled, sad, frustrated, annoyed, angry, etc., etc., etc. And that layered writing is beautiful, especially in Thor Love and Thunder. There is a lot of, I don't want to say heavy stuff happening, but gore has got real stakes and real implications to what he's doing, right? And even the resolution of Gore's story 
is unexpected. It works out in a way that I didn't think it would. I think Christian Bale as the straight guy in this yeah. being the villain also works. It isn't jarring. And with gore as well, there is a weight that he brings to the villain. And I think that's important, right? Because you can't have a gurning villain. Like, Russell Crowe was fun in this. Yes. But there's no way Russell Crowe can be the villain to this because you can't have Thor and Valkyrie and Korg playing at the levels that they are with the almost winking to the camera. They're just shy of winking at the camera and not have an absolutely horrific, painful straight man, which is Christian Bale. The movie opens with Christian Bale's character, with gore, with what happens to gore. It's not a fun ride throughout the whole way. That opening is heavy and sad and devastating and heartbreaking for what happens to Gore when he gets to this realization that makes him the god killer is such a great way to open the film. And then he kicks you with Thor being funny and Korg and all the and the gang being great and lighthearted. Right off the bat, you know there are real stakes in this film because. Gore can do what no one else has been able to. But also, it it kind of addresses one of the complaints that I've had with the MCU for a while in this idea that it's constantly keeping you on the hook, right? Because MCU movies feel generally unsatisfying because with every post-credit scene, for example, it's just about how, oh, wait, the story isn't finished. Like Doctor Strange didn't end. Multiverse of Madness just did not end. He kind of discovers he has a third eye, and then he runs into Charlie's throne, and then they're off to fight some other mystery battle somewhere in the multiverse. And it's just keeping you on the hook, and you don't know when the next movie is going to come, but you're like, oh, there's more Doctor Strange. Even with this, it's no surprise, at the end, there are two post credit scenes. Also, there are the words, Thor will return, but yet it didn't feel like I was left hanging because this story felt complete. Like it ends on a note where I was like, ah, that was a nice story. I can go home now. We're not going to talk about the post-credits, but the post-credits do a lot to get you to that point, to get the audience to that point, right? This isn't a Eternals post-credit where you are being launched into another adventure. Well, you're not even launched to another adventure. You're introduced to another adventure that potentially may or may not happen this one is a beautiful... I think it's something that you've talked a lot about, which is the idea of the epilogue. And the Thor Love and Thunder post credit scenes is a beautiful epilogue to this particular story. Doesn't touch with the MCU. We're not talking about those other characters. This is completely within the Thor universe. Even the wrap-up of the story is a nice end to this movie. And I think that goes a long way. Like we see a little bit of it in the trailers. It looks like Korg is narrating the story. And that kind of comes full circle towards the end as well, which is a nice way to wrap up this story of the legend of Thor, the God of Thunder. For me, the most interesting thing that this movie does is set up this notion that there can be a variety of Thors or multiple Thors by introducing Jane Foster as Thor. I mean, the comics have done this already, but it kind of paves the way for Chris Hemsworth to eventually leave the part as well. Like you can have right. 
another god of thunder and you can have another actor playing it it can be a woman it can be a kid it can be a cgi generated thing who cares but the idea is he who wields the hammer or she who wields the hammer is the mighty thor it's almost the opposite of the problem with iron man right like as much as there's talk about riri williams taking over the iron correct slash iron mental, heart etc yeah the iron whatever mental that film will have to do a lot of heavy lifting because this is a character that we've never seen before, the Riri Williams story. So what do you do with that? Whereas here, you're right, Thor Love and Thunder essentially has just said, he who carries Mjolnir pretty much becomes Thor. He, she, it, they, them is deemed worthy by Mjolnir. I think that's the thing, right? It's not you who can carry it. It's who Mjolnir decides is the new Thor. Performances-wise, yes, Christian Bale's fantastic. I think Chris Hemsworth has kind of honed this comedy chops so perfectly well. And it also comes with the added weight of Thor from Infinity War and Endgame, where yeah. that conversation he has with Rocket about how he's lost everything. That's followed up in Endgame with him having the dad bod and letting himself go. This feels like a very fitting arc to all of that. Yes, yeah. So yeah. Chris Hemsworth's fantastic. It's great seeing Natalie Portman back. I think she's just really, really fun as Jane Foster in this, despite going through some heavy shit. I want to ask something, and I think this isn't something that we've seen too much in the trailer, but it's it's something that when we do get to watch the film here, I, I, I want to ask people to keep an eye out for. But Natalie Portman's performance as the mighty Thor and her performance as Jane Foster is beautiful. When she's Jane Foster, I'm wondering if they do it as a CGI. I'm wondering if they sort of size her down. But she looks tired, haggard. When Jane Foster, Jane Foster, she acts human. Natalie Portman acts human with Jane Foster. But when she's the fucking Mighty Thor in the Mighty Thor costume, god damn, she's powerful. You know, and yes. I love that that performance of Natalie Portman. I love the way she plays two different characters. There's one spot where she's in and out, as in she's Jane Foster, then she turns into Thor. You, you watch that and you go like, fuck, that performance shift is amazing. Tessa Thompson, Taika Waititi as Korg, even the brief appearance of the Guardians, that dynamic is maintained. I think Taika Waititi manages to channel a bit of the James Gunness in the interaction between the Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think what's fun is you really enjoy those bits of the MCU because obviously these actors have been playing these characters for such a long time. It feels like they're slipping into old clothes. And watching them get back into those roles and play with those dynamics it's really, really fun to watch. And I think that's what this movie felt like. It felt like a warm blanket. It felt comfortable. It felt like something you walk into the cinema that you're familiar with, but yet it still managed to surprise me with that emotional gut punch. And this goes to the, the magic of the writing, the magic of Taika Waititi's directing, and the, the, the quality of the trailer editors, because... That scene that everybody loves when Star-Lord is sort of looking towards his ship and then Thor sort of comes into his view, leans into his eyeline. As funny as that is in the trailer, watching the full scene, it's hilarious. And it plays out differently. It, it plays, plays out differently. Out it's not so much funnier. not the see in the trailer. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I mean. Like, like you can take the punchline and the punchline stands on its own. But the 
setup and the story that comes before and after that punchline is just as wonderful and just as hilarious. Keep an eye out for Screaming Goats. They are the best new additions to the MCU. I am on the internet <laughs> now just looking for Screaming Goat plushies because is there any? they might be the coolest characters. Yes, there Ooh. are, my friend. They don't Ooh. make noise, though. But ah. I have a feeling our wives would be very Eventually. upset with us if we bought toys that made Screaming Goat noises. I think that may be problematic. It's all right. I'll be okay. I've got an office. I'll rush it. I want it. The Screaming Goats are hilarious. Every time they're on screen, well... Even when they're not on screen, you hear them coming in. It's hilarious. This movie was a lot of fun. This is exactly the reason we go to the cinema. This is this is why we like comic book movies. Like, I, I enjoy the dark, gritty, realistic takes. Like, I loved the Batman. I liked what Christopher Nolan did with it. But at the same time, as a comic book reader, I have to say... This feels like a comic book and it was so much fun. But here's the thing. In the history of Hollywood, there is this looking down on the term comic book movie, right? It's George Lucas's Howard the Duck. It's right. It's those bad, really shitty second half of Superman 2 and Superman 3. Because it's a comic book movie, in air quotes, you don't have to do it seriously. You don't have to pay too much attention. You don't have to put too much work in. You can do an Adam West Batman because it's a comic book movie, air quotes, right? Whereas Thor Love and Thunder, Taika Waititi treats the comic book movie with both reverence while not ignoring that those movies can be fun. They don't all have to be Zack Snyder dark movies, but they don't have to be empty, frivolous fun things either. But also just go through the back catalogue of Thor comics and it is just ridiculous and silliness. And we get some of that silliness here, which I love. I love the fact that there's silliness. Like Taika Waititi embraces silliness like no other MCU director. I'm here for it. Like, that's what I want. Yeah. We don't really know when Thor Love and Thunder is going to come to Malaysia. Currently, it's scheduled for the 21st of July. I think we can believe that date. I mean, I don't think it's going to be like Lightyear where they just didn't have a date to begin with. For them to announce a rescheduled date means they must be relatively confident that it will get released. We have our reasons as to why we think it was postponed. Uh, we won't necessarily share them because they might be spoilery, but we'll be happy to talk about them once the movie is out and if there are indeed any cuts by the LPF. So for now, we're going to have to wait two weeks longer than everyone else everywhere in the world to watch Thor Love and Thunder. But yes, do check it out when it comes out. It is definitely worth watching on the big screen just because it is spectacle. I think there's a lot of visual stuff that Taika Waititi does in this that's absolutely phenomenal. You see some of it in the trailer. There is this scene where they're fighting that it looks like it's black and white and the actual sequence, the way it's pulled off on screen, is very, very clever and really fucking cool. It works in the story. It's not it's not just a like a throwaway flashback. It's not just a cool moment. It's a cool moment that works with the story. The movie also opens up the MCU's cosmic possibilities in a big way, which is very, very exciting for someone like me who's a fan of the Marvel cosmic universe. So in that sense, I think there's a lot of potential in where they might take that story, especially with the announcement of a Nova TV series or movie. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, right, that's supposedly happening in that part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, yes, we 
definitely recommend Thor Love and Thunder. It is a lot of fun. It also unfortunately highlights the problem that Kevin Feige is going to have with the MCU because this is one of the few last remaining legacy characters from phase one. Everyone else is left. Robert Downey Jr. is no longer there. Mark Ruffalo's the only man standing. ScarJo's gone. Chris Evans is gone. I guess Doctor Strange is a late addition to the MCU, but it's between him, Mark Ruffalo, and Chris Evans, right, to carry the weight of that nostalgia for the MCU. Oh, we're missing Hawkeye. Well, kind of. Well, but Hawkeye. he's kind of done, right? I thought with the Hawkeye series, oh, I thought that was kind that of Jeremy Runner's farewell because he's kind of handed over the reins to Haley Steinfeld. Oh, or at I least guess. that's what... I, I don't know. They haven't made any announcements as to where Hawkeye is going to appear next, but that was my takeaway from Hawkeye. Like he was handing over the reins to like new Hawkeye. I didn't think they would do it at the end of that series. It feels like Jeremy Renner is still in it. They need to write him out. I don't think the Hawkeye TV series wrote him out yet. I think that's the problem because we've seen it in phase four. Yes, there have been good TV shows and films, but there is still that sense of nostalgia of seeing Hemsworth as Thor, which kind of does a lot of the heavy lifting when you're making a movie like this. So it'll be interesting to see how they move past all of these characters eventually. But for now, check out Thor Love and Thunder. When it comes out, you can always talk to us once you've seen it. You know how to reach out. Goggler MY, all of our social media feeds. Podcast at goggler.my is our email address. You can send us an email there if you wish. You can also WhatsApp us on the Goggler hotline. 012-524-5208 is the number. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Goggler Podcast.